This is the Breaking Labels Podcast, and I'm Rosanna Gill. Each episode, we'll discuss labels that have confined the stories of my guests at one point or another and their journeys to thrive beyond them. Some labels are external, and others we put on ourselves as limiting beliefs. But regardless of where the label comes from, we're here to break it because we were meant for so much more. Hello, hello. Welcome back for another episode of the Breaking Labels podcast. I am your host, Rosanna Gill, and today you are going to get to hear a great conversation with Michelle Quay. Now, before I get into my chat with Michelle, I did want to let you know about our partner for the week, and that is Candid Aligners talking about them for a few episodes, let's say a month and a half or so, probably since I started doing the treatment. And if you don't know, Candid Aligners are aligners that basically do what braces do, but in less time, and it's with a clear mouth guard looking bobber uh, as opposed to braces. And I've been doing it for now, I think two or three months. The only time I have tooth sensitivity is when I put in a brand new pair of aligners. And usually I have to put in a new pair of aligners every two weeks. Then you wear those aligners for a couple weeks. You can, my favorite part of this treatment and this company is that I can drink my grape Celsius in the morning, then transition to my iced coffee mid-morning, and then maybe another Celsius in the afternoon or another caffeine And I can drink my water with my BCAs throughout the day that give it a little flavor. And more importantly, it has some color to it. So I used another company previously. And the only thing I could drink while using those liners was water, which to me was pretty inconvenient considering you have to wear these 22 hours a day, y'all. Like, this is a commitment. It is a worthwhile commitment, mind you, because you get straighter teeth in six to eight months but it is a commitment. Ergo, I couldn't be taking out my aligners every time I had to drink something other than plain old regular schmegular water. No, I'm not doing it. And neither should you. So there are a bunch of different brands out there that have aligners. I am obviously going to rep for Candid because I use them and I know what I'm getting with them and I think it's a great company for you to go with. If you use the link in the show notes, then you, my friend, will get $250 off your aligners should you decide to use Candid. So highly recommend. And if you watch any of the video clips for any of my episodes, then you will see me wearing aligners. And if you think, oh man, Ah, it doesn't even look like she's wearing anything. Well, that is the idea, friend. That's the idea. And one more announcement before I jump into this awesome conversation with Michelle. If you have not listened to episode, I believe it was 66, I am doing a series in September called A Different Perspective, where we will be talking about the different questions that you might have about other cultures, other races, other ethnicities, and you can submit your questions completely anonymously via the link in the show notes. And the idea being that even if something is not quote unquote politically correct, you can ask it and we will discuss it. And when I say we, I mean myself and a series of guests because it will not just be me for the multi-episode series answering these questions or discussing these questions because quite frankly, I'm not qualified to talk about all races, ethnicities, and heritages. So I'm gonna have people on there to discuss ones relevant to the questions that you anonymously submit. 
So again, use the link in the show notes and submit whatever question you may have. If you want ideas of questions, you can check out episode 66. And you can also go on my personal Instagram or the Breaking Labels podcast Instagram to see examples of questions I've been asked over the years. And while some of those questions may be were not asked in ways that I particularly liked, that goes out the window for this because I don't care how you ask it for once. I won't know who's asking it, but I do think it's important for these questions to be discussed. And maybe if you ask it in a way that won't resonate with someone, we can discuss why it wouldn't resonate with someone in that manner. So use the link in the show notes and you can ask your question completely anonymously and we'll have the series in September. Okay, with that, let's get into this awesome episode with Michelle. Okay, so I am here with Michelle Quay, who is a success coach that has quite the interesting story. So I feel like there's a few different places we could start, but why don't we start with why you decided to become a success coach? Because I feel the whole entire life, any human being going through our life, you know, we're always looking for some type of success. I got up in the morning, great success. Mm -hmm. Finished my coffee or got to my coffee, great success. I think success to a lot of people is just being able to show up and doing the things that they want to do in their life and feel accomplished, feel satisfied, feel fulfilled. And for a long period of time, you know, that's what I was striving for for myself. I just want to be able to do something for my life and that would make me successful. I didn't want to make, uh, you know, a huge obscene amount of money. All I wanted to do is just be happy and that Mm. would be a success for me. So it totally got me inspired to wanted to dive in deeper in terms of what, how do I make myself success, uh, successful and how do I help others to be successful? So mm-hmm. it kind of all tied together in just one single package of being a success coach. What was there like one event or one thing that you accomplished that had like that you got this aha moment? Like, OK, you know what? I want to help other people do this. Mm hmm. Lots. And, and I think our life, doesn't, <laughs> our life doesn't happen uh, from a single event. It's always no. accumulation of multiple events that led to that big aha moment. And you wake up one day and you say, well, this has got to be it. This I'm going to change. Um, so my biggest aha moment, it usually has to do with the relationship. So it's mm-hmm. always when someone else is involved, when you know I'm getting rejection or I'm being someone said no to me to either a job promotion uh, or just going into a relationship, I, I somehow always pick up being placed in the friend zone. So there's a lot of things that I couldn't do and haven't done that led to that single moment where I was done feeling sorry for myself and I was done accepting those no for an answer. I want that yes, and that yes needs to come from me. Um, so I remember waking up one day and I was just feeling totally uninspired, unmotivated. And one of the things about me, you know, particularly for the listeners who, who, who can't see me, who, who don't know me, I'm actually physically disabled. I walk with crutches. I've been doing this for the last 29 years of my life. You know, I always walk with crutches. And it's a result of a car accident when I was 11 years old. 
So that aha moment for me was waking up one day and I said, you know, I'm done feeling sorry for myself. I can't chop off the pair of leg that I have uh, unless I'm like some kind of robot where you can un uninstall yourself and then put yourself back together, right? But unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. So I'm stuck. But I don't want to keep feeling stuck here. So mm. what can I do? And that was my big aha moment, waking up. How? Okay, so let's go back to how was it when you had the car accident? I mean, I know you were you were pretty young, right? Yeah. When you were 11, how what did you think would happen after the accident at that at that point? When I was 11, I was very optimistic and it's a complete well, I wouldn't say a complete total per, total different personality. I think my personality being an optimist I, it, it kind of went all the way back, but somehow that optimistic view has been, has been um, uh, under disguise after the car accident. So when the car accident happened, I was still very optimistic about the future, about what, could, what the outcome would be. I had hoped mm. that one day, you know, I would be able to run, run just like everybody else. I would be able to uh, mm. go back to school start working with my friends, you know, I start hanging out with my friends. Um, so initially, I didn't realize that this was going to be a permanent impact in my life. And I didn't realize that there's going to be so many um, damage to the way I was walking, my posture was was um, positioning. Um, it, it led to that moment where I no longer can walk long distance, let alone running. Um, so that finally took place and it finally got to me when I was 16. So it took me four or oh. five years to realize that this is something permanent. This is something that will, I would have to live with for the, for the rest of my life. And it was just going from being optimistic to, to somewhere where I start to realize that I'm being judged all the time by my peers, by my classmate, by the fact that when I go, go onto the bus, you know, I'm like really short, I'm four feet, four inches tall. And I remember getting onto the bus one day and there was, a, I was holding onto the bus uh, handle, the rail on the chair. And then one of those, one of my uh, classmates, I've seen her in my class before and she just kind of pushed my hand around uh, off, the, off the hand handle. And her look on her face, I could never forget. It was, such a powerful moment where I, I start to think about how cruel can someone be um, to just to give you that look that you don't belong here. You shouldn't be here. Don't touch my chair handle. Don't come close to me because I don't like you. And it was so powerful. It made me realize how different I am from the rest of the people. Oh my God, I can't even imagine how hard that must have been. I mean, if you're not dealing with enough of how difficult I imagine it is to get through the world with crutches when I'm, I don't know, but I'm assuming that a lot of things are not conducive to that. And then you have to deal with that on top mm -hmm. of it. I, I would say the world is a very challenging place for people who, are, who don't who don't really qualify in the sense that the overall general population. So the overall general population is men or women. You're probably 
five feet five feet tall at at the very least, right? So so when you look around in the grocery shop, you go in. What is the item, the essential item? Where do they place the essential item? They place it on top of all the、mm -hmm. shelves, assuming that the general population would be able to reach it and and to grab it. Now, walking in for someone who is sitting on in a wheelchair, someone who, for any reason, they're shorter than that everyday average, then you go into the store, and chances are you would have to so you have to work so hard to be able to reach it. And if you have a personality like how I used to be, I was really shy. English is not my first language, so even just to go approach to a stranger and ask him for help was challenging. So rather than grabbing the the essential on the top shelf, a lot of time I just you know what I'll just go to a different store. So I keep adjusting, adapting in order to fit in、um, to to manage my everyday activity and. Not to mention at work, right? Work—it's another whole different story. So, what work did you do? I know it might sound like not a question, but <laughs> no. So,、um, after graduation from college, and I got my、uh, doctor's degree, I, I am a clinical pharmacist, so I still work in a hospital. I can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. Michelle, you picked, but the, I've seen pharmacists have—they always have really tall shelves. Thank you. Yeah, that—that's my point exactly. That's my point. This is this. No offense. That was a horrible profession. You can't. Oh my gosh. So my mom, my mom wanted me. So initially, when I first graduated from from high school, you know, they, because you、oh. got to choose like which college to go to. So initially, I was going to choose medical school. Now imagine. Me standing in front of the、uh, table, the surgical table, and the surgical table is pretty, pretty tall, four feet four inches、oh、tall,、God. and reaching over. How am I going to manage that, right? So there's a lot of realistic challenge that that just show up, regardless how smart I am, how good I am, how talented I am. There's limitation all around. Which. I say that I say it jokingly. It kind of pisses me off because it shouldn't matter how tall you are. You went through the same exact classes that everybody else did to get your farm. Is it is um pharmacy pharmacy school? Yeah. Yes, to get your degree. So, is it really such a big deal to not have shelves quite as high? Like, isn't it crazy that we go through the world trying to shape shift ourselves into what is around us? As opposed to thinking, well, maybe things could come to me. Maybe things could shift to fit me. Yeah, I, I, I think as human being, we learn to adapt, and、mm -hmm. and based on Darwin's theory, those who adapt to the change will survive, right? So even though, despite the fact that you know some of the things just doesn't make sense, a lot of things that doesn't make sense in our society, in our culture. But no one really stand up and say, you know what? This is wrong. This is totally wrong. We're in the twenty first century. Why are we still using rotary phone? Right? Why are we still using、yeah. the like the old technology? Why are we still doing a lot of things that no longer serve us as a humanity moving forward? So it is those who actually adapt and learn what works and and actually take it. To the next level, those are the people. Those are the innovator. Those are the creator that makes things becoming more
um, easier for us. Our、mm-hmm. life is supposed to be people are supposed to make stuff that make our life easier, not harder. Yes. So, I'm. I'm. Gosh, where do we even start? Okay, I'm not start, but continue. Why did you decide to become a pharmacist? Of all the, of all the, was it because you, the surgical table was too high, and you thought I still want to be in the medical field, so I'll do this? Like, what, what drove you to do that of all things? That was that was part of the reason, but the other part of the reason is my my parents are really big, so I, I grew up in a very、um, Uh, conservative Chinese culture where we believe we believe that you know children going to school having an education is the answer is the key to to their success.、Mm-hmm. So you will see a lot of Chinese parents、um, pushing their their child going through doctors and go getting either becoming a lawyer or a physician or a doctor. So、uh, the reason why I became pharmacist was because that was the next things that makes sense. I can't be a doctor because of the physical challenge,、um, and I I can't be a doctor because you know、um, it's just way too tiring because I have to stay out overnight. I have to be on call、uh, mm-hmm. for seventy two eight hours, and that is just not something I'm capable of doing. Which I get it, you know, I'm a woman, and chances are, you know, there's times where I feel really tired, so I can't be there. But that idea that believes that as a daughter. As a woman, there are certain things that you should not be doing. That idea was planting in my head from my mom, from my culture, from my parents, from their parents, grandparents, from generations and generations、uh, before me. So I I learned to believe that that was real for me. So、mm-hmm. I decided to go into pharmacy school because that was the next thing that makes sense. It's still in the medical field. I still medicine related, and I actually have a、uh, a A skill that I can live sustainable living, making sustainable money, bring it, and and I don't have to rely on anybody else. I can just、mm-hmm. be on my own, be independent.、Mm-hmm. So that was the only reason why I got into pharmacy school because it's the next thing that makes sense. And you know, everybody else, I have the all these credit taken already, science credit. Why not just transfer everything into pharmacy? So it was easy. It was an easy way out. I'm curious. So, I personally have my own little、uh, issues with having to check boxes, mainly because I'm not typically represented in most boxes. Like you, if you choose an ethnicity, you have to choose one, and I don't particularly like that because I don't want to choose one over the other. I've never once given a second thought about the box of "Are you disabled?" or "Do you have a disability?" Does it bother you to have to check that when it has nothing to do with your ability to do the job? Totally, <laughs> totally, and and you know sometimes it's not even just on the application; it's about the way that people are are looking at you. There's that、mm-hmm. invisible checkbox, like you're walking around next to you, and like people just checked off. Oh, disabled, and we used to not use the term disabled; we used to use the term handicap. So whether you want to treat someone as handicap or disabled, there's a checkbox next to that person, and let me just check off that person. Oh, that person looks disabled. Let me give her special treatment. Let me let me let her in first. I know she can't stand for too long. 
there's a lot of people, and people are making a lot of general assumption about an individual just by the way they look, let alone having an application, which is like completely impersonal, right? All you do is check off the box and then say, oh yeah, I'm disabled. And like, we do that so many times. It feels, when, when, you, when you say something so negative about yourself or others are saying about you, you start to believe that it is true. You start to believe that there's so many limitations on yourself that there's no way that you can achieve anything at all because you've been labeled as disabled or handicapped or abnormal. Men, women. Whatever. Yes, any of the above. Did you ever feel like having to check that box put you at a disadvantage before you ever got to get past the application process or get past the papers, the paperwork process? I, I feel it's a little bit of both. So there's advantage of checking that box that gives you privilege, right? Really? So like my privilege of checking that, checking off that box is I get a blue placard to hang in my car so that I can park closer to the mall or to the entrance. And to me, that is a privilege. That is mm -hmm. a privilege, a, a, a something that others have given you and you are taking advantage or don't have to walk so far. So that is a privilege. And, and I, I always encourage people, when, when you are being, you, when you've been given a privilege, be mm -hmm. thankful, be thankful, right? Because someone else doesn't have to do that, but they did it for you, so be thankful. And so, but, you know, so checking off the box has advantage and disadvantage. And I kind of see that as um, true for everything that we experience in this life. There is no right or wrong. There's no black and white. Everything has two sides. It's, it's like flipping a coin. You flip a coin and there's always 50, 50% of chance of landing on the side that you want. Mm -hmm. But does it, does it mean that when it's on, on, not on the side that you want, does it mean that the other side just disappear? No, it's still there. It's just how we perceive it. It makes a difference on how you're going to respond and react to it. Oh, I love that. That's so true. Can I ask, and for the record, you do not have to talk about this if you want to, but I am very curious. Dating with, and okay, do you call it a disability or do you call yourself differently abled? What term do you prefer? I use the term disabled. Okay. And, and I no longer attach to the label itself because the label is just a word. It's your relationship to the word, how you perceive it's being called um, and how it's being said, right? I can say, oh, Michelle is disabled. Or I can say, I can say, Oh, Michelle is disabled. So depending on how we say it, the word carries a different meaning. So the mm -hmm. word itself has no meaning at all. It's how people attach those meaning, give it a purpose. That's also 100% true. Could not agree more. Well, so what is it like to date as a disabled woman? Challenging. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I often I often feel that I have to work so hard to please someone else for them to like me. Oh, that's all. It, it is the most 
terrible things to do in dating, in relationship, that you feel you have to live up to that to please that person yes. in order to be liked, to be loved. It's horrible. It's also exhausting. Yes. Because I don't care how quote unquote selfless you are, and I definitely do not put that term on a pedestal whatsoever, because in essence, that means you're dying to yourself. But at some point, you reach your bottom where you have nothing left to give. And goodness, just speaking from experience and dating on that, I mean, it's also horrible when you get to that bottom, you have nothing left to give, and you realize that this person you've been giving for doesn't care to do the same. I, I broke my heart so many times. Every time I come home, I, I keep asking myself, why am I doing this? You know, why, why am I putting myself out there so that someone else can hurt me? And oh. every time it feels exhausted mm-hmm. and it feels very, it doesn't feel like I'm not really giving myself the chance to know who I am. I keep dressing up and wearing stuff that really doesn't feel comfortable with me. You know, I I don't wear high heels, so I don't want to keep putting myself into the shoes that doesn't belong to me. Mm, Metaphorically and literally. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Have you, and I'm not saying if you do only date disabled people that's bad but have you ever been frustrated with the assumption that that would be the only type of person you would want to date like have people ever tried to set you up with oh you'd be great with this person for no other reason than the fact that you're both disabled yes so i actually have my college friend or my pharmacy friend she they had they they i told them about my struggle in relationship with in dating and they set me up with this guy who's also physically disabled. I was so angry about it because mm-hmm. I didn't see myself as quote unquote disabled then. And, and the fact that they pair me up with someone who is disabled just because that person is dis- disabled. So they kind of felt, oh yeah, they, that, there's that empathy that we understand, right? But love is not about empathy. Love is about seeing the quality beneath what is our physical appearance. I, I, I like that person, not because how he looks, it's because I like him as a person. Yes. But just the fact that they pair me up with someone who was physically disabled, I had so much resistance to it. We, we were just hanging out one day and it was like a group thing. And I remember I saw him, he walked in and I didn't know what was going on, but then they, they, they kind of just wanted us to hang out together i was livid i was so Mm -hmm. angry i didn't speak to that person the whole entire night yeah it wasn't even about him it was the principle of the matter yes and and you know to be honest i felt so terrible so bad years later when i started to realize that it's not it's not about my physical appearance. I'm Michelle. Michelle is beautiful. Michelle is courageous. Michelle has like all the gift in the world. It's not about my physical dis- uh, disability. And when I realized that there's more than just this physical body, it made me feel so bad that I had made him feel that he was not appreciated. He, he was not welcome. 
Mm-hmm. And thinking back, if I had the opportunity to go back and to restart that friendship again, I would have given him the same empathy, and I would be truly honest to tell him, "I get it. You know, our friend set us up, but this is not for me." Mm-hmm. That would have been a better way of handling it instead of being all angry. Holding it up and bottling inside of me, and walking out and not talking to that person the whole entire night, just kind of ignore that person altogether. That is not me. Yeah, you also you live and learn. Like yeah. you would not do that again. And, and now you have this platform, your platform, where you can talk about things like that. I mean, I just, I, I had a feeling because I remember, and this is so long ago, it's going to sound silly. I remember being in middle school, and. Um, <laughs> at the time I had a group of friends and it, there was, I think four white girls, um, a Hispanic girl and me and the Hispanic girl had had boyfriends. She always dated predominantly white guys and we had a dance and in middle school dances were such a big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, you get all dressed up in, you know, whatever middle schoolers get dressed up in. And there was, um, I was really excited to go and I get there and they're like, oh, there's somebody we want you to meet. And I'm like, oh, because I never, nobody, guys never liked me. Guys never took an interest in me. And I was kind of like the pet project of all my friends. Mm -hmm. And he walks in and he's the one black boy there. And it's a very attractive young boy. Mm -hmm. But I remember thinking, wow. So I'm with you all the time. You're with these white boys all the time. You don't think that a white boy would like me. The only guy that you think I can like qualify to date here is the one black guy. And I just remember thinking, so this is what I look like to my white friends. And I'm getting emotional. I've never talked about this. He was so nice. And he was actually, no, honestly, he was probably the better looking guy there. But it didn't matter. It wasn't about him. Yeah. I just realized finally like what I looked like to my white friends and it had never occurred to me before. It hurts. Mm-hmm. It, it really, a, a lot of our feelings come from our interaction with others, whether it's our friends, our family, we, we respond and we learn from the way that they behave. And we think that, well, if this is how they behave or they want me to behave, that must be me, right? That must be the way that I should be, or that's how my my friends want me to be. Um, so there's so many labels that people, it, it's almost feel like a sticky post that you we, we write it down, we stick it to that person, and that that's, that's it, that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. And, and so you categorize, we categorize people based on these labels, good, bad, white, black, tall, short, and, but the world doesn't work that way. Like our life doesn't work that way. No. When, when did you decide, okay, well, I'm actually two questions. First one, going back to the situation where you, you were introduced to a gentleman purely because you both shared being disabled. When did you have your aha moment of like, okay, I wish I'd handled that differently. Like, when did that hit you? I'm sure obviously not that night or that day, but like, when did you have your moment? That hit me when the year I went, actually before I went to the gym. So 
<laughs> yeah, for the longest time, I never stepped my foot into the gym. I always wanted to, mm -hmm. um, but my hesitation has always been I walk with crutches, so I don't know how to run. And the only equipment I use in the gym is the swimming pool. And I was so done with swimming. I don't, I don't want to swim anymore. <laughs> I was, don't want to swim anymore. And I think, you know, I was hoping that somehow I can learn how to use some equipment, you know, maybe start moving around because I was actually gaining a lot of uh, 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 weight on my, like, they call it the, um, the muffin top. Yeah, <laughs> I, was getting, I was getting a lot of muffin top. So, you know, I pull on my muffin top. I'm like, oh, this has got to be, got to be changed. So <laughs> the moment I decided to go to the gym was the moment I realized that there's so much more than just this physical body. I can do so much more and I want to do a lot more. Mm -hmm. So, so I decided to sign up into a gym. And during that process, I had multiple aha moments where I was looking back to the relationship, to the guys I dated, to all the rejection I received, to all the things that I have said and done to someone else. And it made me realize that if I, were, had, if I had the opportunity to go back or if I see them again in this lifetime, I would have done it differently. I would do it completely different. And those guys... Those what guys who do? rejected. So, so those guys who rejected me, right? I I had this uh, image of me walking up to them and say, you know, thank you for rejecting me because mm -hmm. if, if it was not for your rejection, I would not become the person I am today. Amen. So I don't want to say I don't want to like have a revenge on them. I actually mm -hmm. really appreciate how they told me, they teach me, they taught me who I am today. Absolutely. So but what was it about going to the gym that made you realize that though? Was it the confidence that you were getting? I think it was a multiple of a lot of things. It was, I want, I was ready to prove myself that I'm capable of doing things. I was ready to stop crying in the middle of the night, waking up mm. and feeling sorry. I was done just not being part of my circles of friends. When they talk about going to the gym, when they talk about going out to hiking, when they talk about all these physical activity, I wanted to have that sense of belonging that, that you know, Michelle can actually participate in a conversation about doing the plank or mm -hmm. doing the squat. Uh, some type of physical activity conversation, I want to be part of that. And that that feeling, yeah, that idea of I want to be part of it was the whole driving force of going to the gym and proving, my, proving to myself that I can do this. Uh, how do you, okay, question. Logistically speaking, with the how do you do squats? Are we talking like with a barbell or we I've done I've done barbell uh, I've done sitting squats so the way that I do squat is basically front squats right mm -hmm. so my I have lateral uh, limit limitations so my lateral movement is hard so I can do when when I don't use a crutch I can stand still so stand still 
you can still doing a lot of front squat, bending, getting up. And a lot of time my when I work with my trainer, um, he would do a barbell with me. And I've actually gone up to uh, 60 pounds. Up Shut to your like face. 70. <laughs> yeah, 70 pounds. That's a lot of weight, Michelle. <laughs> Holy moly. Yeah, yeah. And I do push would, up, pull up, anything that you want me to do, I, I'm there. You are, I love that. I would, I wish I worked out at the same gym as you. Cause I would just like come and see you doing squats with the six and be like, all right, I'm, I'm hype. I don't need to go watch an inspirational movie. I just saw <laughs> Michelle. That's amazing. Yeah. I, I started to make a lot of friends at the gym because, you know, people, people feel motivated and, and I'm glad that I can motivate them so that yeah. they want to work out more. And it's also a motivation for myself because when I see them motivated, it inspires me wanted to to do something better for myself, right? Because I think it's a two-way street. You know, if I motivate you, your inspiration is actually a, a acknowledgement and validation that I'm doing this because there's a greater purpose of what I can bring and contribute into the world. So it gives me a great sense of accomplishment and fulfillment when I see that person is motivated, is inspired, and that person is ready to take some action. And that's the whole idea of, of why I became a coach, because I want to see someone else taking action and being able to achieve their goal and getting to the finish line in their life. And mm -hmm. that just motivates and inspires me. I love that. I have, I, you know, I, I did an episode about like um, becoming more confident and I talked about physical fitness because for me it was, and I did start it right to get to a physical goal. But what's always amazed me is just the, the mindset shift that happens when you work on yourself physically. Like when you start your day doing something and pushing yourself even just a little bit, like the way it makes you it, it sets that tone for the rest of your day. And I, and I hesitate to talk about it sometimes because I don't want think pe people to think that I'm like pushing working out on them. But I'm, I also have had so many times walking out of the gym where I'm like, if I could bottle this feeling and give it to everybody, mm -hmm. like we would all feel like we're fearless and can do anything. It, it's true. And, and I do think that, you know, physical, physical or taking care of our physical needs is actually the low hanging fruit. So there's so many, so many different things that we can, we can uh, address on a daily basis that would help us get going uh, or achieving more goals, right? But the physical is the most um, easy access to. You can just get up and start moving around. It's like your low-hanging fruit that's yes. out there. And you, uh, the moment that you start walking around, you feel a little better. The more that you walk, the, the better you get. And there's other other um, parts in our life that that causes us to feel like you know not motivated, feel depressed. There's other elements that that's harder to address. So there's the emotional element, there's the mental element, whether or not you had a good night's sleep. If I didn't have a good night's sleep, chances are I don't want to do any physical activity. I just mm -hmm. want to go back to sleep. So take care of that first, right? So mm -hmm. whichever is the lowest hanging fruit for you. That is the one that you go to. That is the one that you address first. And uh, it makes all the other stuff so much easier. And there's actually uh, six different, uh, we, we call them the influence in our life or the way that we function in our life. So we talked about physical. Mm -hmm. We also mentioned emotional. There's also mental. 
their social, you know, how close you are with your friends, are you connected with your friends? Like pandemic is huge on, on the social aspects of it because we're not mm-hmm. seeing each other anymore. And then there's environmental. Environmental could be like clusters in your home. You know, some of us have like cluster workspace. Um, that can also change how we respond and how we feel motivated we are. So that's five already. And then the last one is actually spiritual. How connected you are to the higher self or to the to God, to your faith, um, that can also be bundled in the spiritual. So, so what I do is a lot of time. I actually I need to update my um, vision board. So what I when I do the vision board, I, I teach people how to separate into six sections. And then you focus on your vision, your goals, based on these six different area that compresses our lives. Okay, can you give me an example of what will go on the board for the spiritual part? I'm what what was that? Spiritual part if someone has a religious religion belief, then it could be by, by maybe a bible bible quote, right? If someone doesn't have a particular religion, they're spiritual but not religion, then it could be something that you connect to yourself. Maybe mm. it's something that's very inspirational. Maybe how you connect to yourself. Um, like the way I connect to myself is I usually sit down five minutes in the morning. I just close my eye, meditate, breathing, breathe out, and just kind of clear my thoughts so that, that in that five minutes of time, I'm just focusing on what is important in here and now. So that's how I connect with myself, my spiritual self. Mm-hmm. When I when I do that, you know, I'm talking to my heart. So how do you feel today? What's going on? What color is my heart? What color is the my world that's around me? And that's how I connect. So that's spiritual aspects of, of how connected you are. Someone who is not connected to their spiritual self, they sometimes they feel lost. Sometimes mm-hmm. they feel there's aimless. Mm-hmm. in this world or purposeless they don't feel that life has a bigger meaning or even when they go to your th- their job they stop losing feeling passionate about it and this is something that i was experiencing when i when i was doing a pharmacy work because that's no longer my purpose it's not my purpose and i'm not connected to it so i would just get up for the sake of showing up to work i wasn't being very passionate so there's a lot of time i would show up with anger I would show up, you know, having a lot of conflict with my colleagues. So there, that's not that's not some someone who is spiritually connected to our inner self. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is very common. Like, I and I forget who I was talking to recently about, you know, well, I was talking about trauma and how it shows up in in our interactions, even at work. But even if it's a lack of connection with self and what you truly are here for and your purpose. I feel like we all know people at work like that who are combative, who are argumentative, who you can just sometimes you like I ha- I've had people I've worked with before where I just want to be like, you should quit because I know you're not happy. And not, it doesn't matter what happens today. It doesn't matter if you get the best news ever. You don't like this job. So you should not be here. Mm-hmm. I, I think the problem is a lot of us going to the workforce not understanding why we do it in the first place. Mm. Right. And, and mm-hmm. I think Simon Sinek had, has said this, said this perfectly. People don't remember what you do or how you do things. People remember why you do things, right? Mm-hmm. So your why is huge. 
your why should be the number one questions that you ask before you go into college. And, and my, my niece is actually applying college right now. And this is a question I, she and I had talked about a couple of weeks ago. I said, you know, now that you're visiting all these different schools, one question I want you to start asking yourself is why do you like that school? Not so much what the school has to offer or how you're mm. going to be able to be successful. Why do you feel that this is a good school for you? And why do you believe that going into history or becoming a history teacher, that is something that you want to do? Like answer the why first before you think about the what, how, and, and when. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Especially, so my dad's a history teacher and is... I mean, the man was meant to be a history teacher. Like I grew up with my dad reading history books during the summer. Like he did it for fun. He just really, really loves history. He was meant to be a history teacher. But I remember watching him and the way he would light up teaching a class versus other teachers I had where I was like, you're the type that did this because you want summers off. You don't even particularly like kids. You're just here because you get summers off. It would frustrate me because, you know, people tend to, we all tend to like put people in boxes, right? Well, I had this teacher that's like that. So that's how all teachers are. And it's not the case at all, but any profession doesn't matter what it is. You're going to have people that are there, not for the why Mm -hmm. at all for the why. I I think that should be like the number one top question on all the job applications, all the college application. That should be the top application question. Why do you believe that this is your purpose? Why do you believe this is important to you? Like no one asked this when I when I was going through college, when I was no. going through pharmacy school, why do you believe pharmacy is important to you? Maybe they did in some way, but like it needs to be emphasized and highlight and readdress and reiterate all the time to remind each one of us to follow our dream, to follow our purpose and not passion. Um, so I think mm. there's a distinction between the passion and 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 purpose. Passion is something that you find someone sparked and someone did something and that sparks the fire inside of you. And you believe that, well, oh my gosh, this is really my passion. I want to do it. I want to pursue it. But then passion, because it's someone that's external, it came from someone else who sparked that fire. Passion can die. Passion can go away, right? You wake up one day and suddenly you don't love that person anymore. That's passion, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas purpose Purpose is something that you found from within you. It's the moment that you get up, you feel excited. Like your dad is a perfect example. He feel excited. He's always talking about history and he enjoyed oh, teaching it, right? <laughs> so, and, and you don't have to, you don't have to like tell him, hey, dad, you know, there's a, would you like to go to a history movie? No, he's going to be saying, <laughs> he's going to be saying, Rosanna, I have a ticket to the, to the history movie. Let's go, right? There's that. a yeah. different energy that we carry into the things that we do and purpose is a much more sustainable it's much more everlasting so Mm -hmm. do things because it's a purpose not because it's your passion yes oh i love that i never thought about the difference between purpose and passion but that's such a great point no -hmm. okay i i we have to talk about this because i do not want the time to go too quick i mean it already is going quickly but can you please explain to me and to this audience, how you went from never stepping foot in a gym to climbing Machu Picchu. <laughs> like, I feel like you were like, you know what? Doing a squat's not enough. I'm going to go as hard as possible. Like, what is the most, like, big, literally, 
biggest thing I could conquer? Oh, Machu Picchu. So I'm going to tell you this and you're not going to believe it, <laughs> but it's uh -oh. true. Okay. It's true. The whole reason why I, I started wanting to climb Machu Picchu is because I was driving one day. I was wearing this uh, white T-shirt. And every time I wear something white, I always come out of the car and I notice there is some like a black marks on my T-shirt, on my white T-shirt. So like, for the longest time, I was walking with this mark and I couldn't figure out what it was. So then one day I was like, you know, driving and got out of my car and there it, there it was again. So I'm like, okay, let me just sit back in and see what's going on, right? So I'm sitting in my car, look down, and suddenly I realize, holy moly, I know why and where I got that mark from. So I was wearing a black belt and I had a pair of jeans and my stomach was literally bumping against my steering wheel. So every time I make a turn, it's like rubbing <laughs> against my, my T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, so it's creating a mark on my T-shirt. I was getting too fat. I was oh. getting chubby. Like my muffin top was real thing. Michelle, though, a lot of people have muffin tops and they don't go climb Machu Picchu. But I mean, I respect it, but this is a really big jump to make, no? It, it was, but, you know, at that point, I was so done talking to myself poorly, like body mm -hmm. shaming myself. So mm -hmm. I told myself, you know, something got to give and something is going to be me. I'm going to give in so that I stop playing small. I stopped feeling sorry for myself. And then, and then during that time, my friends all came back from Machu Picchu and I was thinking, okay, so what can I do to prove to myself that I can do this? Trusting myself that I, I, I got what it takes to do things like everyone else. And then the most common, common things that, that, that came to my head was, all right, so people went to Machu Picchu. I'm going to go to Machu Picchu. I don't care if I die out there. I don't care if I ever get back. I just want to prove to myself that I'm capable of doing what they're doing. So I booked myself a ticket. I told my personal trainer, I said, listen, we're going to have to start working on this. So we, I, I went hiking every single weekend by myself, like in the, in the 90 degree hot weather Ooh. in California, went hiking <laughs> every weekend. And then that year in 2016, I bought a ticket by myself, brought my luggage, my two crutches, and they were pink crutches, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. They were pink crutches. And so I hiked through the Inca Trail of 26 miles. Um, the highest elevation was 14,000 uh, feet above sea level. I'm not going to lie. I can't even fathom what that means. I know that means that it's very hard to breathe up there, but I, I really have a hard time like wrapping my head around what 14,000 cheapers. Okay, what what would be a comparison for the United States? Like, where what is a, a high point in the United States that like does anything even come close to that? No, that that's oh, actually oh. the the highest. Um, well, Kilimanjaro in in Africa is another um, really high, challenging elevation, high altitude uh, hike that people people have doing. That's actually on my next bucket list, Kilimanjaro. Oh, <laughs> okay. So so it just imagine that you're running running for uh, three miles of, of, of circle, running three miles and coming back and you're like catching up your breath. That's what it feels like. What, to, to hike? To hike. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I saw on your website like a picture and I was like, well, that's just a straight up wall that you're walking up. 
Mm -hmm. and, and it's it's not a wall. It's like all steps. And the steps are gigantic. And so I'm only four feet, four inches tall. So my my legs are short. <laughs> and these gigantic stones, somehow the magnificent ancient uh, Peruvian, they got it up there. And the way that I would have to climb to the next steps is I have to put my crutches da uh, down to the next step, get, out, get down to my hands and knee, climb up, claw up, and then pick up my crutches and do that repeatedly so that I can get to the top. So I've done that on um, multiple, multiple steps. It is a lot of steps. Yeah. I was doing steps all along. And it so feels you were like not doing... just hiking, you were crawling up this 26 miles. Push-ups, crawling. Yeah. Lots of it. I know you didn't have a muffin top after this. No, I was skinny and bone. Oh. My, how, okay, this is, I know maybe a weird question. How do you even eat to do something like that? Like, what, do you just like eat straight carbs? What, I guess you have to have some protein. Like, how do you, wow. I, I actually eat a lot. So when I started well, yeah. to work out, my metabolism was so amazing that I can have hamburger every weekend. And <laughs> it's just, I can have two hamburgers. Like my, my, my norm is like two hamburgers. Chucking down, no problem. <laughs> and a whole pizza. Like, you know how there's like the thin crust pizza? I love the thin crust because it's not a lot of carb. So I had the record of finishing the whole entire uh, medium pizza by myself. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, you know what, though? If you, you climb out your pizza, you can have an entire thin crust pizza. Go hard. Go ham. That's rule. Go hard or go home, right? Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Yes, go hard or go home. Oh my gosh. Okay, and I also read on one part because that you please can we talk about this? What time did you have to start hiking as compared to everybody else in the group? Five o'clock. <laughs> and what time did they start? They usually start at seven o'clock. Um, the reason being, I was the slowest in the group, and so everyone else because because everyone else pretty pretty they walk fast, right? For me, I, I walk with, even though I got four legs, you know, two crutches and two legs, even though I walk with four oh. legs, I was just really push, doing, doing the push-up rather than walking. And that was really difficult for, for my body and just, for, yeah, just to, to be able to catch up. So the first night, my tour leader sat me down and he's like, uh, Michelle, you know, from, from day one on, there's no point there's no 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 it's a point of no return so mm -hmm. basically if you want to continue you need to be able to catch up so that you can meet us at the at the campsite on the second day and and he asked me you know to make a make a choice i was told that either i can walk faster or i need to go i need to go back because you know i'm not i'm not going to be able to make it and I sat there, I was so emotional because there's that moment where I either give up right here or I die here. Um, so I, there's that voice that turned on and it says, you know, um, I didn't come this far to go back home, you know, go hard or go home. Right. So yes. I decided to go hard and the go hard means that I would get up two hours ahead of time, start my hike five o'clock in the morning. So I put on my headlight, get my backpack and start moving. Um, and that just barely got me to catching and meeting my the rest of the team at the campsite on day two and day three and day four. But that means 
if you caught the at what at some point were they passing you on the trail or were you always just a little bit ahead of them? I was always a little bit ahead of them. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And at some point, like some of them actually walked faster. They were like passing me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and when they pass me, they're like, give me a thumbs up, you know, Michelle, go, you know, I'll see you there. And that like, to me, that's an inspiration. Like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, you know, there's people championing me or cheering me on. So it felt good. So I was even pushing harder. But I feel like you were cheering them on without even like, I'm sorry. If if I'm in your group and I see you getting your, your tukus up at 5 a.m. to start, like what? I can't quit. I can't. Yep. Yep. There's I, no excuse. They they gave me a they gave me a cake. They they baked me a cake on the last oh, day. Nice. They're like Team Michelle. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And you definitely earned a cake after that. Oh, totally. I swallowed the cake. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now this is what I'm wondering. Mm-hmm. At that point, were you still a pharmacist or had you started success coaching? Not yet. I was still a pharmacist. How hard was it for you to go back to your job after doing something like that? It was so easy. So easy. So, so I no longer, so I no longer let workplace bring me down because before I went to the hike, I had a lot of anger that was carrying inside of me. I felt like there's always people who's against me, who's targeting me. Um, so I always had that feeling of, I, I don't want to do this anymore. But when I mm-hmm. came back from Machu Picchu, I realized that this is something that I, I, I can do like everyone else. So it doesn't bother me anymore. Wow. So then why did you decide to become a success coach? Inspiration. So a lot of that inspiration comes from the fact that I know that I can inspire someone else to take the action. And I remember the last day when I got up to the, to the, to the high, to the end point, entrance point, I saw all these people sitting at the, at the, to rest. Right. And suddenly when I walked in, everybody stood up and they started clapping at me. And that was to me is inspiration. And I realized at that point that my purpose here in this lifetime is to inspire others to take actions. Mm. And when I came home, I was looking for a way to actually bring that into the world. So how do I do that? I start to do some Google search. I start to look into like what, what type of talents was I, was I really good at? What was I really good at in the past? And one thing that I was really good at was listener. I was always good with listening to people, listening to their problem, helping them and, and identifying what works, what didn't work. And I inspire them. I encourage them. So those are the things that I was doing already, but I wanted to do it the right way. So I enrolled myself into a coaching program, actually got certified as a coach and I opened up my business. That's amazing. So how long now have you been coaching? This is my third year in the business. Yeah. Yeah, I've been I started my business in 2018 and I've been working with clients one-on-one and also I do a, a bit of group group coaching. 
Um, so I do have groups and I work primarily with women coaches. Mm. And this is my third year in the business. Um, it's been, it's been fun. It's like, you know, you get up, the first thing that you do in the morning is, oh, what can I do to make, make a, make a difference today? And it's that joy, that complete, absolute passion. And I know we use a, we talked about the purpose versus the passion. It doesn't feel like work anymore to me. Oh, that's the sweet spot. <laughs> that's what we all want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so I'm like really, really enjoying this. I, I love that. I was, uh, that's one of the things like, even if I am, just emotionally drained from a long day before a podcast interview. Like I'll go into it. Like, oh, I don't feel like it. I have yet to do one where I didn't feel lit up and happy after mm-hmm. every single time. Doesn't matter if it's 10 30 at night, which is definitely my bedtime. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. I'm, I just feel like I'm on a high afterwards. You feel motivated. Like, yes, yeah. absolutely. What? So now, if somebody's wondering like, okay, wh- why should I work with Michelle versus somebody else or, or even just wondering if they should do coaching or have a coach, wh- what would you, what would you say to them? Like, why, why do people, do you think work with you? I, I think my biggest and strongest uh, strength is I'm really real. So I don't, mm. I don't cover up is it a clean podcast? Is your is it? Oh, you can clean? curse. Go for it. <laughs> so I don't, the whole time. I don't. I don't cover up crap or shit. You know, mm-hmm. if I see something, if I spotted something that I I believe that you and I can work through, then I'm going to print it out to you because I think a lot of people are afraid to see what they choose not to see. Mm. And and if I spot the fear and I, if I don't point it out to you that, hmm, you know, I'm really curious about why you're acting this way or why you're doing something, you know, repeatedly. And what's that all about? It would be it would be a disservice for someone if I continue to cover it up and just say, oh, you know, don't worry about it. It's nothing. It's not me. You know, so I'm really real. I, I authenticity is one of my uh, big big values um, when it comes to my business, when I, when it comes to how I live my life, um, what you see is what you get. Like mm-hmm. I don't dress up pretty. I don't have like hair and makeup, you know, every time you see me and I can tell you that there's a lot of struggles that I'm going through and I'm going to be very transparent with you that what am I struggling with? You know? So I think the advantage of what makes me different is my personality Mm-hmm. And the way that I treat people with the empathy, with authenticity, and most importantly is the level of confidence and courage that I have. Mm. Uh, yes. You can't give <laughs> or coach somebody in something you don't have yourself and you definitely nope. have it. Nope. Without a doubt. You, you gotta, you gotta walk the talk in order to show someone how they can do it too. Right. If we can't even, go through the very simple things and walking the talk, then to me, I, I would help people think about it. You know, when you're shopping for a coach or when you're considering working with a coach, you definitely want to choose the one that you can work with. You feel resonated with it. You feel that you're connected with that person, whether it's emotionally or mentally, that you feel comfortable sharing a lot of your deep thoughts with that person. 
if it's not me, choose someone who really you can connect with. Mm. And I always encourage people to look into because there, honestly, there's a lot of coaches right now, right? The, the coaching world is so saturated and it's really hard for consumers or for people to identify, okay, so which type of coach do I need? Who do mm-hmm. I need to go to? So one thing I would encourage people to do is before you consider hire that coach, check their credential, check their accreditation. Um, reason being, because there's so many different coaches out there, you wanted to make sure that there's certain level of credibility behind yeah. that person's uh, 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 work, right? So there's always that code of ethic what not to do, what to do. And so there are standards that that person has to follow and to maintain. And that tells me a lot about the integrity of that person. Mm. So be sure to check their accreditation, check you know whether or not they have a certification and, and don't jump into the conclusion that, oh, this person is a life coach, therefore must be good for me, right? No, shop around because they're so diverse. There's so many variety, shop around. And how you determine what you need is, again, address, look at your low hanging fruit. What has been bothering in your life? Is it organization? Is it leadership? Is it communication? Is it relationship? Is it family? Is it money? So you always pick and go to the one that has been bothering you the most. If it's a career related, right? So if you're you're looking for a job right now and you want to be able to nail your interview, so a career coach would be great to address, to help you to really shine during your interview. You don't mm-hmm. want to go through just a general life coach because, you know, a no. general life coach is going to be someone who's talking about something else. What you need to focus on is career coaching. Great. Go to a career coach and start shopping around in the career coaching. If you need, if you have a business and you want to start a business, look into a business coach, right? Yeah. And business coach, there's men, there's women. What type of business? What type of business are you looking for? And so do some research before you jump into just hiring a general life coach. There's so many of us. Mm, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's really good. So anybody who wants to connect with you, what, where, where are all the places that they can get to know Michelle? They can actually just come to my website. It's okay. at elevatelifecoaching.org. Uh, that is like my one place go to all. And are you on social media as well or not? I, <laughs> so, so one of the things I do with coaches is I help them with visibility, right? So oh. every time people ask me about social media, you can find me on all social media. Yes. Okay. I, for a second, I was like, oh gosh, are you about to say that you're not on any of it, but you do help with visibility? Okay. Nope. Yeah. You're on all of it. I'm on all of them. TikTok, uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you name it. I'm on there. And I encourage people to, you know, check out different platforms and see what works for you because mm-hmm. you don't want to, you don't want to spread yourself too thin, but you also don't want to, um, you know, stay too humble, too invisible because after all, you do have a business that you're running. So be out there, go out and start getting seen. Yes. Oh, I love that. Well, I will have links to all of those places in the show notes for anyone listening. All the Twitters and Instagrams and Facebooks and LinkedIn's and TikToks. TikTok. That's TikTok. right. <laughs> Snapchat. 
Oh God, I forgot about that one. I don't, I haven't had that one in a long time. I forgot one, that one's still out there. It's still around. <laughs> Go Jeepers. Okay. But I feel like that's hard to be visible on because it disappears. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. You you can't really keep it. So I think that's the downside of having a, a Snapchat. But it's great if you're talking to your clients, you know, like you want us to send them like quick videos. It just stays between the oh. two of you. So there's different ways of using it. Oh, I never would have thought of that. That's a good point. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, maybe there's some room from the Snapchats too. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. I so enjoyed this and appreciate you. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of the Breaking Labels podcast. I really appreciate you listening to this conversation with Michelle. We would love to hear from you what you thought of the episode. So either leave a written review on Apple Podcast or you can take a screenshot of the episode and share it and tag Michelle and I in it. We would love to see that. I would love to see that there are people out there listening to the episode and what you liked about it. And make sure to connect with Michelle. You have links to all the ways to connect with her in the show notes. And lastly, if you have not subscribed to the podcast, please make sure to do so, so that every week when a new episode comes out, it's automatically in your queue. So whether you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or iHeartRadio, that means that every week the newest episode will be waiting for you when you go into your app to listen to it. And if you are one of my lovely listeners that does not listen to the episodes on an app, you can also listen to it at www.breakinglabelspodcast.com. And you can subscribe as there as well. All right, with that, I will see you next week. And thank you, thank you, thank you for being a listener of this podcast. I appreciate you. <laughs>